Welcome to this podcast featuring well-known Bible teacher, Kevin Connor. For more information, visit kevinconnor.org. Okay, we've got tonight and then next week, and, and we're going to be finishing, though not exhausting, our series on uh, the redemptive names of God. And tonight we're going to look at the uh, most compound the greatest compound redemptive name ever to be revealed, I believe, in this world and in the world to come, and that's in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, next week we're going to bring a lot of things together and uh, on the practical use of the name in our lives. But uh, so far we've looked at the redemptive name of the Lord, I am that I am, and then uh, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord our provider, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord our healer, and... Uh, Jehovah Nissi, the Lord our banner, uh, Jehovah Mechadishkim, the Lord our sanctifier, and Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace, Jehovah Roy, the Lord our shepherd, and Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness, and Jehovah Shama, the Lord ever present. Aren't they great redemptive names? All right, we're going to see tonight, or if not tonight, uh, tonight partially, then uh, bring it to uh, conclusion next, next week that all these redemptive names uh, find their fullest expression in the redemptive name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'd like you to turn over to several scriptures that are on your sheets there and I'd like to read several scriptures first of all uh, before we start uh, uh, making comment here. Let's turn over to Ephesians chapter 1. Now this is on the... Um, on the under section A there on the New Testament. Now in my study of the name of God over the years and particularly the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I believe the scripture uh, teaches us that the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is the greatest name ever to be revealed not only in this world but in the world to come. Of all the names of the Lord Jesus Christ, of all the names of God, I personally don't believe that there's any greater name ever to be revealed in this world or the world to come than the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we want to look at tonight. So Ephesians chapter 1, and let's pick up in uh, verse 19. Uh, it's very difficult with Paul's writings. He just, uh, he never knows when to make a full stop. He's got commas and semicolons and semi. Yeah, commas and everything like that. He's so inspired here. Uh, verse 19, so he's praying for the saints and he's wanting us to know what is the exceeding, is this ringing here? Is this alright? It's okay? Alright, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and this is the sentence that strikes me here, and every name that is named. So we can think of the billions and billions of names of human beings or the names of angels or whatever. Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead and set at the Father's right hand uh, in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. So I believe the implication there is that the Lord Jesus Christ has been raised above everything and he's above every name that is named, either in this world or in the world to come, and has put all things under his feet 
and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. God has given Christ to the church, uh, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Let's go over to Philippians chapter 2. I'd just like to read several of these scriptures first. Tremendous scriptures on the glory of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Philippians chapter 2. And I've put the whole passage down there, verses 1 through to 12, but uh, we'll just read several verses here uh, because of our time. Uh, Let's pick up in verse 7. So speaking about the humility of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, he made himself of no reputation, this is Philippians 2 verse 7, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. So from being in the form of God, in verse 6, he takes upon himself the form of a servant. That's humility, divine humility. And was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, because of all this, on this basis, God has highly, also has highly exalted him, and given him a name, what is that name? Given him a name which is above every name. So in, in Ephesians we saw Christ has been exalted above every name that's in this world, every name that is named, not only in this world but in the world to come. Now Paul adds to this here in Philippians by saying, God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus... Every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And let me ask you a question here. I've asked it before. Uh, How many believe that every knee is going to bow at the name of Jesus? Hands up. How many say yes? Uh, The answer is sort of yes and no. Let's read it completely because some of you know I've tricked you before. Okay. All right. So let me read it, verse 10 and then verse 11, because uh, verse 10 isn't complete without verse 11. So that at the name of Jesus, not just at the name Jesus, we'll read it fully. So at the name of Jesus, this name that's been given above every name, every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess what? That Jesus Christ is Lord. That's the name they're going to bow to. And I've said this before, but it's a very significant thing that when I worked at Secular Work and heard much more of this and uh, used to rebuke him in the name of Jesus sometimes, that I've never heard a person ever take the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in vain. They've said Jesus or Christ or Jesus Christ in a blasphemous way. But have you ever heard anybody say Lord Jesus Christ? I've never heard in all my 60 years. But one day, there's coming a day when every, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess what? Not bow the name of Jesus, but every tongue and every uh, tongue is going to confess and every knee is going to bow that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Why? Because as we're going to see tonight that that's the Father's name upon the Son. Okay? But uh, I'd rather bow my knees to him and confess it now. Not because I have to, but because I love to. Amen. The name which is above every name. Let's look at uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 1, just a couple of other scriptures here, and then uh, we'll get to our notes. Hebrews chapter 1. 
As I said, when I worked at a secular job and uh, people used to take the name of the Lord in vain, and take the name of Jesus in vain, um, how many of us just let it go by without saying anything? I didn't. I say, oh, excuse me, what did you say? And they say, oh, what did I say? Well, what did you say? Well, you just took the name of my friend in vain. I did? Yeah, I said, you took the name of Jesus in vain. And the Bible says he's not going to hold you guilty, guiltless. Oh, I don't appreciate that. Do you do that or you just let him go? Try it and come back and testify. Let them do the blinking. You're looking at me funny. All right, Hebrews chapter 1. Um, after describing the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, in verse uh, 3 and 4 we'll pick up, uh, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Now the angels were given names, but no angel inherited the name. My son, or our son, and our daughter, I have to tell Joyce that now and then, she says, oh my daughter, I said, our daughter. Our son and our daughter inherited our name, Connor. Well, the angels never inherited the name of God. They were given names. But here it says, being made so much better than the angels as he hath by inheritance. And the son inherits the father's name. As he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. And as we used to sing uh, from Psalm 8, O Lord, O Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, the excellent name. Now, I want you to go to one more scripture on this part here, Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Now, we've had a number of occasions to refer to Acts chapter 2, but uh, the more I study this chapter, the more I believe it's one of the most uh, important chapters in the book of Acts, because it's the uh, Pentecostal sermon, we might say. It's the dedicatory sermon of the church and the initial Pentecost, the initial outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And when Peter stands up with the eleven and preaches this initial Pentecostal sermon, we might say, uh, he lays out in this whole sermon uh, some of the most important keys, I believe, for the church both then and now. And this is the climax of his sermon in, um, in verse 34 we'll pick up. Therefore, let's see, verse 34, For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made that same Jesus, whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were stabbed, pricked, excessively irritated, I think the Amplified says, when they heard what? This same Jesus, whom you crucified, 
God has made that same Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And this is the first declaration of the triune name of the Lord Jesus Christ in the New Testament. For 30 years, Jesus is known as Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. When the Holy Spirit, and you'll see the significance of this as we go through, when the Holy Spirit came upon him in water baptism, as he came up out of the waters of baptism, as we're going to have a baptismal service Sunday night, the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus, and from then on he was known as Jesus Christ, Jesus Christos, Jesus anointed. So 30 years, Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, 33 and a half years, or three and a half years, Jesus Christ, thou art the Christ, the anointed. But when did he receive the third part of the name? When he ascended up on high, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit on my right hand. And from then on he was known as the Lord Jesus Christ, the triune name, the greatest redemptive name ever to be revealed. Now let's read off our notes here under section A here, the New Testament. The New Testament reveals that the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is the greatest compound redemptive covenant name of God ever to be revealed in this world or in the world to come. It comprehends and expresses uh, in a triune name, tri, three, un, one, uh, three in one and a one in three name, the fullness of all the Old Testament compound redemptive names revealed. Next week, we're not going to make it tonight, I can see, but next week I'm going to give you a diagram and see how all the compound redemptive names that we've been studying together all find their fulfillment in this one name, or this triune name, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, uh, uh, continuing here. Uh, as a triune name, it is the name of the triune God upon the Lord Jesus Christ. It involves the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to go over to Hebrews chapter 7 just for a couple of verses here. We're not going to have time to read all the verses, but I always like to put uh, in the mouth of two or three witnessing scriptures shall every word be established. All right, Hebrews chapter 7, this is under section B. Hebrews chapter 7, and uh, we'll read verses 1 to 3. Now, what we're looking at tonight here is the, is the compound redemptive name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, what we're going to see together, why I say those statements that I believe it's the greatest compound redemptive name ever to be revealed is because it comprehends the Godhead, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And as we uh, follow the, what I refer to here as the law of interpretation of names, we're going to find that uh, the name of the Lord... Jesus Christ actually is a triune name for the triune God. It's not only the name of the Godhead, as we're going to see, it's the name of the, of, of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ as the fullness, and yet involves the Godhead. We'll explain that more as we get through. Okay, now listen to Hebrews chapter 7 and uh, verse 3, uh, principle of the scripture here. In verse, uh, or verse 1 to 3, I'm sorry. Hebrews 7, verses 1 through to 3. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham, returning from the slaughter of the kings, and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, 
first being by interpretation, king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace, without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. Now, whoever wrote the book of Hebrews, you'll notice that he's doing what we speak of as the law under section B here, the law of interpretation of names. And uh, I've just put several scriptures here. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, you'll often find expressions like this, that uh, uh, Calvary, which by interpretation is the place of a skull, or you are Peter, or you are Simon, but you will be called Peter, which by interpretation is a stone. And over and over again you'll find that expression, which by interpretation, which by interpretation. So whoever wrote Hebrews here is taking the name of Melchizedek, let's just uh, put it up here, Melchizedek, there's a go to S here, Melchizedek, and what he's doing He's using the law of interpretation of names because in the Bible, as we know, names uh, meant something as we've been doing the redemptive names. And Melchi means king. All right, so when uh, Abraham was met by Melchizedek after the battle of the kings, this mysterious king turns up on the scene. And Melchizedek, Melchi means king, and Zedek means righteousness. All right, so... He's uh, interpreting the name, and what I'm saying here is interpret the name, you will interpret the person behind the name. Now, and uh, this is why, without getting sidetracked here, why we believe that Melchizedek is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ, a theophany or Christophany. There's different theories, some say he's an angel and everything else like that, which I believe violates Hebrews, and we haven't got time to prove that. But uh, by the interpretation of the name, he's interpreting the person behind the name. So Malki means king, Zedek means righteousness, and then he says, so first being by interpretation, uh, Melchizedek, king of righteousness, and after that also, king of Salem. And what does Salem mean? We know what that means. Jerusalem. We think of Jerusalem, so peace. All right, so by the interpretation of the name, he says Melchizedek is king of righteousness, king of peace. Now, as we've said before, he's not just a righteous king. He is king of righteousness. He's not just a peaceful king. He is king of peace. And there's only one person that I know who is the king of righteousness and king of peace. And who is it? The Lord Jesus Christ. And you know... We've already looked at two redemptive names. Let's add it. Jehovah, said, can you, the Lord, our righteousness, because the Lord is king, and Jehovah, shalom, the Lord, our peace. So king of righteousness, king of peace, is Jehovah. Said, can you, the Lord our righteous, Jehovah Shalom, or the Lord our righteous, the Lord our peace? Because he's king of kings and lord of lords. So the writer to the Hebrews, by interpreting the name, is interpreting the person by, behind the name, as we've said before. Uh, the kingdom is whatever the king is. And because the king is king of righteousness, king of peace, the kingdom of God is what? The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and for good measure, joy. So the kingdom is what the king is. 
Eh? So interpret the name, you interpret the person behind the name. So that's what I mean when I've got on your notes there, the law of interpretation of names. Interpret the name uh, is to interpret the person or persons behind the name. Ancient Jewish, Jewish saying concerning the name of God says, himself is his name and his name is himself. All right, now what we want to do is uh, look at the name of the Lord Jesus Christ because we've said that it's the it's the uh, it's the compound name, the most glorious compound redemptive name ever to be revealed. And as we interpret the name, we'll interpret the persons behind the name. And this is why, as we do in uh, principles of church life class, we talk about uh, being baptized into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, which we see in the book of Acts and the epistles. Uh, is to be baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we've said so often, uh, so many churches just quote the command, I baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. But they don't obey the command. You never fulfill a command by quoting it. So we quote the command, we say we baptize you into the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, but then we invoke what that name is. Try your name. What is the name of the Father? What is the name of the Son? What is the name of the Holy Spirit? Father's not a name. Father, stand up. Go into the bank and sign your name Father on your check. Or son, 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 son. They, they brought forth, uh, she brought forth her firstborn son and called his name Son. No. Holy Spirit's not a name. He feeds into three persons, see? So many churches only quote the command of Matthew 28, 19, but never fulfill it. He said, baptize into the name of the Father. Well, what is the Father's name? Into the name of the Son. What is the Son's name? Into the name of the Holy Spirit. What is the Spirit's name? So they quote the command, but they fail to invoke the name. So we quote the command of Jesus, and we invoke the name. And then we quote uh, from the epistles. All right, now, let's look at the name Lord here, as you've got on your notes, and I'd like you to turn over to um, Numbers chapter 6. Pardon me, let me get a Drink of water here. Numbers chapter 6. Numbers chapter 6. Now let me make a statement while you're turning to that. As I've studied the name of the Lord through the Bible over the years... I find that the name Lord or Jehovah or Yahweh, whatever you like in the Old Testament, was actually the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit in Old Testament times. It was a compound redemptive name. And when you say Lord, you could be speaking of the Father. Generally speaking, particularly in the Old Testament you are. Or you could be speaking of the Son. You could just, one reference particularly, speak of the Holy Spirit because this is a compound redemptive name involving the Godhead as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but preeminently the Father's name. All right, now listen to what uh, the Hebrew believers say once they accept uh, the Lord Jesus Christ as their Saviour. This is what they say on this, and I think it's very significant. Uh, Numbers chapter 6, it's on your note there, and verses 22 through to 27. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron and unto his son, saying, On this wise, or this is how you're to do it. 
On this wise you shall bless the children of Israel, saying unto them, The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. And so Hebrew believers, once they accept Christ as their Savior and see the truth of this, they say the, the thrice invocation of the name of Jehovah, and as it says in verse 27, and they shall put or invoke my name upon the children of Israel, and I will bless them. So when people are water baptized, we invoke upon them the name of the Lord. And here in the Old Testament, it was the thrice invocation of the name of the Lord. The Lord bless thee. The Lord bless thee and uh, keep thee. The Father. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Son. And the Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. The Holy Spirit. And in the invoca invocation of the, the threefold Jehovah, they say there's a revelation, an implication of the Father who is Lord, the Son is Lord, the Holy Spirit is Lord. So, it's what we see in the Old Testament. Now, we're not going to have time to go through all the scriptures here, but uh, let's just go over to, um, on, on column one now. Now, what I've done on the notes here, I hope it makes sense. On the name Lord, what I'm saying here is that... Uh, the scripture shows that the name of the Lord, particularly in the Old Testament, was preeminently the name of the Father, but it's also the Father's name upon the Son. So in the Old Testament we have particularly the Lord God. In the New Testament we particularly have the Lord Jesus. The Lord said unto my Lord. So, and then once we have the Holy Spirit was spoken of as Lord. So let's Go over to Isaiah chapter 42, just look at a couple of verses here, because time always keeps fleeting. And I do hope that you look at these scriptures between now and the millennium, or if that's not long enough, between now and the new heavens and new earth. Isaiah 42 verse 8. And here the Lord is speaking, he says, I am the Lord... That is my name. He never says once, I am the Father, that is my name, because Father is not a name. I am the Lord, that is my name. And as we've seen in Exodus in our previous studies, the Lord, this is my name forever. He never once said, Father is my name. So when he said, baptize into the name of the Father, what is the name of the Father? Okay, let's go to um, Psalm, uh, Jeremiah, Jeremiah 16, because uh, these scriptures I've put here, Basically repeat the same, Jeremiah 16 and verse 21. Therefore, behold, I will, I will this once cause them to know, I will cause them to know mine hand and my might, and they shall know that my name is the Lord, or Jehovah, not my name is the Father. All right? Uh, Joel chapter 2, verse 32. Joel 2, <laughs> Joel 2 and verse 32. Always get one and talk in tongues here. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. What did it mean in the Old Testament to call upon the name of the Lord? So the name that was revealed to Moses in the burning bush 
I am that I am. The Lord is my name. This is my name and my memorial. Let's go over to uh, Acts chapter 3. While you're turning to that, we quote the verse that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What is that name? All right, Acts chapter 3. All the New Testament show that the name of God the Father is Lord. Jehovah or Yahweh, whatever equivalent we can have. Okay, Acts chapter 3 and verse 19. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of who? The Lord. Now who's the Lord there? How many see it's the Father? Because verse 20 shows that. And he, that is the Lord, the Father, who's Lord, he, the Father, the Lord, shall send, who? Jesus Christ. Okay, so the Father's name is Lord. Now, it's a very significant thing that about 1,100 times in the Old Testament, and if you want to count them up to get it exactly in case I've missed a couple, at least 1,100 times in the Old Testament the name of the Lord is used preeminently is the Father's name. All right, now I want you to turn over, so uh, turn over to Psalm 110. Psalm 110, as we move on. So the name of the Father is Lord, used at least 1,100 times, and never once does he say, Father is my name. But he does tell us, Jesus tells us, baptize in the name of the Father. Well, Jesus said, I have revealed, Father, I have revealed unto those that you gave me out of the world, I have revealed unto them thy name. What name did he reveal? All right, now we turn over to Psalm 110 and uh, verse 1. And this uh, verse is quoted so many times, I think pretty well every gospel and uh, many of the New Testament epistles quote this scripture. And in Psalm 110 verse 1, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand. Verse 2, the Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Verse 4, the Lord hath sworn and will not repent. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So there's lordship of Melchizedek here. Verse 5, the Lord at thy right hand. Well, who is the Lord? The Lord said unto my Lord, sit at my right hand. And now the Lord at thy right hand will strike through kings in the day of his wrath. Now there's two persons called Lord here. So... Not only is the Father Lord, Jesus is Lord. Can we say amen to that? All right, now how do we we know? What do we do with this? The Lord said unto my Lord. Then on the day of Pentecost, which we've read, uh, Peter said, let all the house. And he quotes this psalm. He said, David is not ascended into heaven, but he himself said, the Lord said unto my Lord. So the Father said to the Son, sit on my right hand. Jesus, and also we have the coming into the temple of Simon and Anna coming into the temple by the Holy Spirit at the uh, dedication and circumcision and naming of Jesus. 
So we'll just pick up a couple of thoughts here and then uh, continue where we left off last week. So in verse 10, or verse 9, And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour, which is Christ the Lord. And then we come down to verse uh, 20. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, as it was told unto them. And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And then we go down to verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Spirit that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now let your servant depart in peace according to your word, for mine eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. How many think that that was the tremendous timing of God? Just with all the various babies coming in and being named and circumcised on the eighth day, and then just uh, Simeon coming in by the Spirit, and he, he had, it had been revealed to him that he would not see death. Uh, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he should not see death until he'd seen the Lord's Christ. And when Jesus came in, the Lord Jesus Christ, that connection of the triune name that was to be revealed on the day of Pentecost. All right, now let's just pick up a couple of thoughts from where we finished off last week and then uh, tie up some loose ends here. We, uh, as you have the notes there on page 24 from your lesson sheet, uh, we, we've been sharing in our last couple of sessions here that of all the redemptive names of God, the compound redemptive names, we're saying that the greatest compound redemptive name ever to be revealed in this world and in the world to come is the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, we've given that on your notes because... Uh, the reason we say that is it comprehends and expresses in a triune name the fullness of all the Old, Tem Old Testament compound redemptive names revealed. And as a triune name, it is the name of the triune God upon the Lord Jesus Christ. It involves the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And we read uh, a number of scriptures there last week. Then we looked at a scripture in Hebrews chapter 3. <coughs> Pardon me with my throat tonight. Uh, on the law of interpretation of names, that if we interpret the name, we interpret the person behind the name. And so we found, the, uh, or we started on this part, on the interpretation of the triune name of the Father. So we saw last week the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. As we've seen together, uh, Jesus said, go and baptize into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So in the triune name of the Godhead. And together we saw last week that the name of the Lord 
uh, in the Old Testament, particularly was actually the name of God, the, the triune God, the name of the Lord was the name of the Father, and the name of the Lord was also the name of the Son, and then we have one uh, distinctive reference where the Holy Spirit is called Lord, which you have on your sheet there. So in the Old Testament, as we saw together, just refreshing your memory here, uh, when uh, in Numbers chapter 6, the ironic blessing was given. Uh, God said to Moses that Aaron was to bless the people with a triune invocation of the name of Jehovah or the name of Yahweh, the Lord, upon his people. And so uh, their benediction was, the Lord bless thee and keep thee, uh, referring to the Father. The Lord uh, lift up his face and be gracious unto thee, referring to the Son. And the Lord uh, lift up the light of his countenance and give you peace, uh, something like that anyway. Uh, the thrice uh, invocation of the name of the Lord involving the Godhead as Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And so that's the, particularly the Old Testament revelation, the, the name of Jehovah involving the Godhead. When we come to the New Testament, which we're looking at, we see that it involves the name of the Lord, Jesus Christ. And as we said last uh, week, emphasis right through the Old Testament is the name of, of the Lord God. Emphasis in the New Testament is on the name of the Lord Jesus. And uh, we say it's a compound redemptive name because Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are involved. And uh, just a little uh, bit more here. As we saw clearly last week, the name of the Father is Lord. But then the Father, when the Son was glorified, the Lord said unto my Lord. The Lord said unto my Lord. The Father said to the Son, sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. So we have to check the context whether the name of the Lord is referring to the Father or the Father's name upon the Son, as I uh, illustrated just in natural birth. Uh, Mark Andrew Connor, uh, if you say, Connor, come here, uh, do, are you referring to the Father or the Son? Because the Father's name is Connor, but my Son is partaker of my name, Connor, but he has his own personal name. All right, so the, the name of the Lord, the Father is Lord, and then uh, the father placed his name upon the son. Let all the house of Israel know assured that the God hath made this same Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. So we have to check the context of it because Lord is the father's name. It's the son's name, but it's the father's name upon the son. The Lord God, the Lord Jesus. And uh, as we read in this passage, how beautiful it was when Simeon came into the temple. And uh, the Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he would not die until he'd seen the Lord's Christ. So Jehovah's Saviour anointed. That's the thought we have there. All right, so we went through, as you've got on your notes there, on the name of the Lord, uh, the Father's name, and another, a number of scriptures we said over 6,000 times, or over 6,000 or 11,000 times, this name is used in the Bible. The name of the Son is Lord, and uh, just the one distinct reference we have uh, to the, uh, the Holy Spirit being Lord also. So it's a compound, redemptive name of Jehovah. Then number two, uh, following down your notes now, picking up from last week, the name Jesus, as we saw in Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 4, and in the scriptures we've read tonight, the name Jesus is ever only, always, the name of the Son. It is not the name of the Father, it's not the name of the Holy Spirit. The name Jesus is the name of the Son et uh, eternally now. It's the name of the Son's humanity. 
I believe the scripture shows that uh, the Son's eternal name was the Word. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and He comes as the Word of God, the King of kings, Lord of lords, and His name is the Word of God. But when the Word was made flesh, then the Word made flesh was named Jesus, which means Saviour. So Jesus is the name of the Word's humanity. And this is where we uh, draw a distinction on uh, uh, the ones who are spoken of as Jesus only or oneness who baptize in the name of Jesus. Okay, we don't baptize in the name of Jesus. We baptize in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ because we understand this to be the triune name of the triune God. So it's important that we keep that in mind so that people don't confuse an issue on the Godhead over a water baptismal formula. That's where a lot of people get that thing mixed up. All right, so we have no doubt about that. Uh, thou shalt bring forth the Son and call his name Son. No, thou shalt bring forth the Son and call his name Jesus. Father is not a name. Son is not a name. Holy Spirit's not a name. So when he said, baptize in the name of the Father, well, what is the Father's name? And in, in the name of the Father and of the Son, what is the Son's name? And in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, what is the name of the Holy Spirit? And so as we're following this law of interpretation of names, interpret the name or the names and we interpret the persons behind the name. So when we look at the name Lord, the persons behind the name could be the Father who is Lord or the Son who is Lord and just the one reference where the Spirit is Lord. All right, when we interpret the name Jesus, the only person behind that name is the Son. I should call his name Jesus. It is ever, now, eternally the Son's name. Now, I want you to go down the bottom of your sheet. I hope everybody bought their sheet from last week. Okay, I want you to go down the bottom of the sheet. And we want to look at the name Christ for a moment. And I'd like you to go over to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. And I'd like us to look at several scriptures first before I make comment here. And it's, uh, I believe it's important for us, particularly here, uh, uh, understanding why we baptize in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, to understand the significance of this name from the Hebrew point of view, not just our Western thinking. All right, let me just say this before we read the scripture. There are specific references where the Father says that his name is the Lord. This is my name forever. There are specific references where the name of the Son is Jesus. There is no specific reference uh, that says the name of the Holy Spirit is Christ. All right, why do we baptize in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Why do we associate this third part of the triune name with the third person of the Godhead? Okay, that's what we need to understand clearly here. All right, so I want to read some scriptures first and then uh, comment. Luke chapter 4 and verse 18. Luke chapter 4, verse 18. Uh, Jesus is in the uh, uh, synagogue at Nazareth as his custom was. And it was the custom of Jesus to go to synagogue every Sabbath day. And I believe it's a good custom to be in the house of the Lord, the sheep shed every Lord's day. Amen. And uh, so he went in and they gave him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And in verse 17, about the middle of the verse, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, 
because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, uh, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, I want you to pick up uh, three words here in a moment, but let's read another scripture in connection with that. And uh, if you have your notes, you'll notice how I put this out, just to help our understanding on this. I put the name Lord, the name of the Father, the name of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, particularly Old Testament. The name Jesus, we put the scriptures strictly under the Son, because Jesus is not the name of the Father, not the name of the Holy Spirit, contrary to what uh, the quote-unquote Jesus only oneness people say, because they saw, they started to see the truth of the triune name, and then went too far and missed the truth of the Godhead. So we're trying to balance things out there. Looking at the name Christ, and you'll notice I've put the name Christ, a couple of scriptures under the Father, and several under the Son, a couple under the Holy Spirit. That's what we're explaining here. Okay, and I want us to be clear, particularly those who are new in the church. Uh, Acts chapter 10 and verse 38. Acts 10, verse 38. Peter is down talking to the Gentiles and preaching the gospel to them. And so in verse 38, he says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing the, all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. So God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, the Spirit of the Lord, uh, is upon me because he has anointed me. So it's that word anointed I want you to pick up here. Let's just uh, put it um, uh, down here for the moment. So the Spirit of the Lord has anointed. So we have one, one word here. Let's just uh, put it over here and we'll explain that in a moment. All right, now let's go over to uh, John, or the Daniel. Let's take the Daniel, the Daniel uh, reference first of all. Daniel chapter 9. This is the notable 70-week prophecy, <clears throat> Daniel chapter 9, and uh, I've put down verses 25 through to 27, uh, we just want to pick up the two verses here with a, the particular Hebrew thought here concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, in verse 25, Daniel 9, verse 25, the notable 70-week prophecy. Uh, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the Prince. Messiah, the Prince, shall be. We have the time element, verse 26. And after uh, 62 weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. So we have Messiah. Okay, let's just put that over here. Uh, just... Not to coordinate yet here, but the Messiah. So Old Testament word Messiah was what we have for the anointed, the, the, the uh, Hebrew word. The New Testament word is Christ. Okay, so Old Testament, the Messiah, the anointed, New Testament, the Christ. All right, one and the same uh, meaning. Let's turn to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. These scriptures are just right off your notes there. John chapter 1 and uh, verse 41 and uh, reading from the uh, King James here, of course, in the marginal reference you'll pick this up, which I've just uh, explained on the board here. John chapter 1 verse 41, 
Uh, he first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah. Okay, unto Messiah the Prince shall be. And after so many weeks, Messiah shall be cut off. And so Andrew finds his own brother Simon, says unto him, We have found the Messiah. Now here we have this law of interpretation of names, which is being interpreted the Christ. So the Messiah, Old Testament, the anointed, uh, New Testament, the Christ. And those of you who have the King James marginal reference, the Christ is again interpreted, meaning the anointed. All right, so uh, we have found the Messiah, which is the Christ. Old Testament, the Messiah, New Testament, the Christ, which is the anointed. All right, so we want to pick that up there. Now let's go to Acts chapter 4, 27. Acts 4, 27. Acts 4.27 And uh, here we have the prayer of the apostles after they'd uh, been beaten for the name of Jesus. And so in their prayer they say, For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together for to, to, for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. So, uh, whom thou hast anointed. Okay, the anointed. All right, now I want you to go over to, um, we'll take the Old Testament reference first on the third column under the Holy Spirit. Uh, let's take Isaiah chapter 10 and verse 27. Chapter 10, verse 27, then we'll bring it together. Isaiah chapter 10 and verse 27. And we're after this uh, expression, the uh, close of the verse here, prophecy of Isaiah. And in verse 27, Isaiah chapter 10. And it shall come to pass in that day that his burden shall be taken away from off thy shoulder and his yoke from off thy neck and the yoke shall be destroyed because of what? The anointing. Isn't that a powerful verse? The yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. Now I want you to go over to our, our last couple of references on this point and then we'll uh, amplify a little bit here. First John chapter 2. This is all on your notes here. First John chapter 2 and verse 20, 20 and 27. First John chapter 2 and verse 20 and 27. Now reading from the authorized here, in verse 20, uh, it's significant that John has been talking about the Antichrist and Antichrist in verse 18. That's, uh, why don't we pick that up while we're, we're so close to it. Little children, it is the last time, it is the eschaton, the end time, the last time. And as you have heard that Antichrist, anti-anointed, shall come, even now there are many antichrists, whereby we know it is the last time. Verse 20, but you have an unction, I want you to note the word unction there if you haven't underlined it in your Bible, you have an unction from the Holy One and you know all things. And then we go down to verse 27, but the anointing which you have received of him abideth in you, 
And you need not that any man teach you. And don't use that to say that God has not set teachers in the church because we get some weirdos like that. Uh, but as the same anointing teaches you of all things and is truth and is no, no lie, and even as it has taught you, you shall abide in him. So in verse 20, once you note the word unction, and verse 27, word anointing, and the same anointing. The anointing abides in you, and the anointing teaches you. All right, now let's see what we've got here uh, that uh, I believe is the key to this thing and the significance of it uh, from the Hebrew point of view. And remember those who wrote the New Testament, they were Hebrew believers. Though the New Testament was written in Greek, they were Hebrew believers. Okay, in the passages I've given you from Strong's and Corns and Young's, you'll have basically three different Greek words. Let's put them up here. Number one we have the word creo. Now I'd like you to take this down on your notes if you've got pencil and paper for your own understanding of this, okay? We have the word creo, and then the second word we have is the word Christos, and then the third word we have is the word chrism, or chrisma. Uh, is it chrism or chrisma, uh, David? Uh, has it got the A on the end? Chrisma, yes. Okay, now, once you take those words down, that's why I didn't put them, I want you to write them down so you understand intelligently what we mean when we say so we baptize you into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit into the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why do we do that? Is it heresy or is it biblical? Okay, why do we do that? Why do we understand that? Okay, because those who are willing at least to listen a little bit, recognize that the name of the Father is Lord, the name of the Son is Jesus. They have complications on this because there's no specific scripture. But as we say, we're using the biblical principle of interpretation of names. All right, this is what we've got with the three words. The word creo, where it says God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit. It's the Greek word creo, and this is what we've got. Creo is the anointer. The anointer, listen, listen to me carefully here, God anointed, God creoed, he anointed Jesus, the Father anointed, so creo refers to the Father as the anointer. Then Christos is the anointed, and everybody, we know that, that that's referring to the Son, all right? The Lord Jesus Christ, he is the anointed. So when did Jesus become the anointed? As we said uh, a couple of weeks back or somewhere in this series, for 30 years Jesus was known as Jesus of Nazareth. He was never once called Jesus Christ until when he came up out of the river Jordan in the waters of baptism, the Holy Spirit descended upon him when God the Father creoed, anointed him with the Holy Spirit. From then on he was known as Jesus Christos. Jesus anointed, thou art the Christ, thou art the anointed. And then the significant thing we have here on the third one is that charisma is the Greek word, listen to it, for oil. Okay, who is the oil? Who is the anointing? And this is what we've got, the anointing. So when he says the unction, okay, the, the Greek word unction is the same as the anointing. It's the oil. How many have got the good oil abiding in you? The oil that abides in you. 
The oil teaches you. The price of oil has gone up. Huh? So the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. Who is the anointing? The Holy Spirit. I didn't say who is the anointed. I said who is the anointing? The Holy Spirit. All right, how many have got the Holy Spirit, the anointing in them? All right, understand what I'm saying. See, so when we use this name Christ, it's like the name Lord. That's why the glory of this name overwhelms me at times because it's such a compound, complex, interwoven, interrelated, redemptive name of God that you can hardly speak of one part of the triune name without involving the persons of the Godhead. The Lord. Jesus, distinctly the Son's name, but this name Christ. And so when we say, okay, uh, the anointing, so the scriptures I've read, uh, God anointed. So the anointer refers to, let's put it over here now. The anointer refers to the Father. Okay? The anointed refers to the Son. And why are we called Christians? By reason of Christ in you, the hope of glory. How many got Jesus in your heart tonight? No, you haven't. Thank, thank you for letting me catch you. In the New Testament, it doesn't say Jesus is in your heart. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Right? Uh, is the church the body of Jesus? The church is the body of... Now, why does he use that? See, we're so, you know, I mean, our Western mind, we're so dumb on some of these things. But, the, but as I've studied the triune name and the name of God through the total Bible, the name Lord or Lord Jesus or Jesus or Jesus Christ or Christ is never used promiscuously. When Paul uses the name, there's always a, a, a distinctive revelation there. For instance, we say, uh, that rock that followed them, they drank of that spiritual rock, and that rock was Jesus. Does it say that? No, that rock was Christ. That rock was anointed. See, so, there's, you know, I mean, it means something to God if it doesn't to us Westerners. All right, so what we're saying here is, the Father is the anointer, the Son is the anointed, and the Holy Spirit is the anointing. So the unction, the anointing that abides within, the oil that abides within, it's a distinct reference to the Holy Spirit. And that's how this name is used. So even in the name Christ, in fact, listen to this. This is from a, uh, a Catholic, and uh, don't worry about it, because the Catholics still have some truth in spite of the mixture. But listen to what the Catholic said from an, an ancient uh, manuscript here. Uh, it's very interesting. This is from uh, Jones, Catholic Doctrine of the Trinity, page 57 and page 83, volume 2. And you got that? Now listen to this. The disciples of Christ, and this is from the Catholics now who do all this business. The disciples of Christ were commanded to baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And without doubt, the baptism they administered was in all cases agreeable to or with the prescribed form. Nevertheless, we are told of some who were commanded to be baptized in the name of the Lord, Acts 10.48, 
and particularly in the name of the Lord Jesus, Acts 8.17, so that there was a strong defect either in the baptism itself or in the account we have of it, or the mention of one person in the Trinity must imply the presence, name, and authority of them all as the passage understood by Irenaeus, i.e., by baptism in the name of Christ is to be understood, he who anointed, he who was anointed, and the anointing itself by which he was anointed, in other words, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's not bad, is it, for Catholics? Is it? Answer me when I ask you a question. Triune name for triune God. So that to me is the glory of this compound redemptive name, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you understood what I've been saying here? Okay, so though no scripture ever says that the name of the Holy Spirit is Christ, I never say it. Nowhere in my writings do I say it. But I do say this, that when we interpret the triune name, and we've gone through this and this, that the name Christ Listen carefully to my language here. The name Christ is the name that involves the Holy Spirit as anointing upon the Son. It was the anointing that made Jesus the anointed. And it's the Holy Spirit, Christ in you, that makes you Christians, anointed ones. Everybody understand what I'm saying? Be sure to visit kevinconnor.org for more information about Kevin, his books and his ministry.